The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. And that's because the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe has some great features like the available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, and much, much more. So think about those places that you want to go, the things that you'd like to do this weekend and where the Santa Fe can take you. Learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the First Cut Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Gaiman, and it is Mayakoba Golf Classic Week, and we've got all the storylines to break down. So we've assembled the team. It's Kyle Porter. Welcome in, Kyle. Good morning, sir. How was your week break from the PGA Tour? It was great. It was it. Uh, I mean, a week is like basically the in NFL offseason for the PGA Tour. So, yeah, I'm, I'm refreshed and uh, ready, ready to go for the last two events of the fall. That's right. So two quote unquote real events uh, left until, uh, you know, we head over to Maui and the Tournament of Champions. And also we've got Mark Immelman to provide uh, some great insight. I've got questions loaded up and teed up ready to go for you, Mark. I'm ready to rock and roll this week. What say you? How's it? I am looking forward to being where well, I've been looking forward to being with you guys. And just for the record, Kyle, hey, Falcons got a win. So I saw that. that. I saw oh. it. It was unbelievable. Uh-huh. Yeah, boy, against New Orleans, too, which is a big deal. Yeah, certainly did not see that one coming myself. But all right, let's let's hop into this. It's it's Mayakoba Golf Classic. Uh, Matt Kuchar returns to the scene of the crime uh, where, you know, all of the stories coming out from last year after his win. And did he tip his caddy enough? Did he not? All that good stuff comes out of this. Uh, so So, Kyle, let's start with you. I don't know if there is like if there is a hostile situation on the PGA tour, but like, is Kuchar going to have to answer questions from the media about El Tucan and whether he tipped enough and whether he ended up making it right? Yeah. The El Tucan invitational, I think is what this <laughs> event is uh, heretofore known as, I, you know, I, I think he, it's been like the scrutiny was so intense in the months that followed. I don't know. I don't know that revisiting it is really going to pique people's interest. I mean, sure, you're, you're going to have some random questions and a couple of things here or there. But, I mean, we revisited it at Sony. We did it at Riviera. We did it for, like, basically yeah. two straight months and even into, like, March and April. And I just don't know that the – it feels like it's played out. I, I, I don't know that it's not going to be a story, but I don't think it's going to be as big as maybe – um, you know, it would have been if it hadn't been so scrutinized over those uh, kind of following months after it happened. It really did feel like this story went on forever. You know, it, it just like it never died. Even like there was even when the joke that Rory made, like at the end of the Wyndham championship about, oh, Kucha really loves his. I just feel like this this story lasted forever. Yeah, it it did like and and it's almost it's almost become. You know how some of the storylines get like embedded into just the week to week narrative, like Cap- uh, Patrick Reed is Captain America, like that kind of thing. It's yeah. almost like it's just been embedded now, and people are just going to reference it kind of offhand for the next however many years. But I don't know that it's going to be like this kind of shine the spotlight. Golf Channel is doing like a three hour documentary on on what <laughs> happened type of thing. Uh, maybe it will. I, who knows? Maybe I'd, I'd watch that. <laughs> yeah, I, I might watch it too. Uh, did you see? Uh, did you see the? Did you guys see the article about? Um, I think it was the New York Post. Uh, Mark Canazero about just kind of the follow up one year later. I did uh, not see that. It was. Uh, he he kind of just talked about how like <laughs> the funniest part of it was that L Tucan used the. He wanted to use part of the fifty grand that Kutra eventually gave him to start, or, or maybe to like help along it was either to start or help fund like this laundromat that he was, that he was working on kind of a side business. And he was, and there was a line in there about how he was going to name it like Kuchar's laundromat. Oh man. Oh, God. <laughs> which is incredible, which it was so funny, but 
he, it, it kind of talked about in a lot of ways how it's it's helped him because everybody that goes to this resort, okay. everybody that plays there is like, I want L2 Can as my caddy. And they tip him well. And, and they it's have like, to tip him well. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's it's almost been a long-term net win for him to get all that attention early on. That's that's hilarious. Um, so, so, Mark, I mean, I, I think let's look at this from from Kuchar's side of things. There, there's a million things that go on on the PGA Tour inside the ropes, outside the ropes with distractions. You know, it could be uh, another player in your group is playing slow. It could be someone yelling some, you know, something from the crowd. It could be that you did not tip your caddy uh, well enough last year. And now you have to come back and talk about it. But from a player's perspective, how can Kucher kind of compartmentalize some of the distractions that might come along with his title defense this year and really just focus on golf? You know, that's a really good question. Uh, the, the, the thing to first off realize for everyone listening to this is that these guys, even though they appear like superheroes to all of us, is they're still just human beings. And we've all been in that situation where we've misbehaved or you've got to you go to the principal's office or whatever the case might be and then you get back to that situation and and you sort of slink your way into the room and you try not to be noticed by anyone so so there's some of that on the go for Kucha but the one thing that he does very very well is he sort of deals with stuff as it comes along and and I'm sure when he gets into the press room uh, his best port of call would be just to nip the thing in the bud right away and say Look, we're back here. I'm happy to defend. Last year was a misstep, whatever, and and sort of say the right things. Not that he doesn't mean them, and then uh, and then just get back to business as usual. Uh, I would expect just to get some closure to this thing that he should seek out L2 Can and go, hey buddy, um, you know, are we good? Sorry, you know, sorry, and all the rest of it, and 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 and, and go through that sort of thing just to close it, so you can get back to the business at hand. Because that's the, that, that's the most important thing for a player is to try and somehow just put a stop sign with wherever the mind has been going. Because, you know, we all know that the power of the mind, you know, we can create all sorts of drama inside of our heads, which eventually will affect the player's um, physical performance. So, so that's the best way, in my opinion, to do it. But the truth of it is everybody's different. You know, everyone deals with things in their own way. It's just a, it's just a function of dealing with it in the best way possible for you to make sure that you can bring out your best because really this golf course was built for a guy like Matt Kuchar and it's and it's a week where he can really make some inroads on that FedEx Cup points list. Yeah, I really like that this is uh, could potentially be you know the closing the book on this right. It's one year later. Um, you know, you imagine this isn't going to be a, a huge storyline every single year, but the first time it comes back, it could be. And and Mark, what we've seen kind of with with other athletes and 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 golfers is sometimes actually being inside the ropes might be a little bit of a of a relief for him. You know, if if kind of he's dealing with questions in the media, all that good stuff. It's hey, you know, the four or four and a half hours that he spends actually playing his round might be a little bit of um you know a, 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 a I don't even know what the word I'm looking for it might be it might be the best place for him to be would you agree that him actually playing golf might be a relief this week I I, I do inside the ropes you, you you're back in the grind and when you're in there you know there's not much time for the mind to wander even though you know between shots there's some light conversation and such but you're out there and you're working and let's say the weather gets rough <clears throat> pardon me we have seen some then you're grinding even harder, so the mind is sort of occupied with the job at hand. I mean, I, my, my my mind is wondering right now. I don't know if Elter Can is is caddying for anyone, but wouldn't it be hilarious if he's <laughs> on someone's bag and Kuchar is drawn with him in round three, and Kuch walks onto the tee because we know Matt Kuchar has got a fierce wit and a really good sense of humor to walk up to Elter Can and try and put the club down in the bag and say, "Oh, sorry, you're not on my bag," you know, just to joke about it, but. But there is there is some solace between the ropes. It's you and your guy, and you've got a job to do. So, yeah, I'm sure he's he's looking forward to Thursday rolling around just to get the show on the road. Yeah, I, I think that's a really a really great point you made there. So, you know, Kucher uh, goes out, he wins here last year, then he ends up winning again in January at the Sony, and that was really the big chunk of FedEx Cups FedEx Cup points that he needed. Um, so, Kyle, you and I had talked about this where, you know, the way the schedule is set up, where it's it's so compact and there's a, a big event, you know, every month during the summer, getting those FedEx Cup points early in the season. I mean, I looked this up. A thousand FedEx Cup points for two wins for Matt Kuchar. Basically, before the Tour Championship, 
you know, he would have been solidly through to the BMW if he had never made another point throughout the year. Um, so can we start? Can we start to expect? some of these bigger name players, some of these guys to get a head start on the season, try to bank these early FedEx Cup points so that they have a little bit more flexibility when it comes to, you know, the big part and the big meaty part of the schedule later in the year. Yeah, I think so. I mean, just think about think about the the guys that we haven't seen in the fall, right? It's basically been, what, Ricky and DJ? And yeah. Ricky got married and DJ has been hurt and that's it. And so... You know, you see Rory a couple times. You see Tiger making an appearance. You see Justin Thomas quite a bit. I, I, I think with the expansion of just how many events there are in the fall. And, and look, like Rory's talked about this. He talked about this at the Tournament of Champions. I think it was last year yeah, um, where, where he said, like, I don't want to get to the Honda Classic and be 160th in the FedEx <laughs> Cup. And that it kind of surprised me because I was like, does Rory care like where he's at in the FedEx Cup? But but apparently he does. And I think that, yeah, it just maybe it's a maybe it's a mental thing of like you don't want to go to Sony or to to uh, even like the, the farmer to Tory and be like 101st because you only played one time in the fall. And, you know, the other thing is like there's there's the events in the fall are not small events. I was looking through some purses today. I mean, CJ Cup's like uh, nine and a half mil. Zozo's like nine and a half mil. Like these are, and these are no cut events. They're just, it, it, the PGA Tour has done everything that they can to make it compelling for their biggest stars to go out uh, and play and, and get some of these FedEx Cup points going into the following year. Yeah, there's there's big money to be made. Uh, there are, you know, the, the 500 FedEx Cup points for, um, you know, Mayakoba are the same as the 500 FedEx Cup points for Pebble Beach, you know, in, in <laughs> February. They're, it's all the same. Um, so so, Mark, I mean, obviously, some guys have uh, um, the ability to to pick and choose their schedule. You know, Rory can can tailor. We've seen Tiger tailor his schedule uh, to his to his benefit. But what about the rest of these guys? You know, for a regular tour player, what kind of goes into making that schedule each year? And is it is it a lot of personal preference? Are some guys playing because they have to play every week to make enough points? Like, take us behind what what might go into a schedule making before the season starts. Well, it's kind of a little bit of D, all of the above. But just to quickly revisit what Kyle said, uh, you know, about earning these points, uh, Rory referenced it at the Tournament of Champions. Kyle mentioned. And then when you're playing, if you're playing from so far behind, sometimes you get the sense of urgency, which then forces one's hand when it's really just a marathon. So if you can get yourself to the front of the peloton, then you can sort of play your own kind of game throughout the season. And, and that's why we're seeing McElroy and, and, and the blue chippers show up in the fall so much. And then to the schedule thing, I mean, you get the guys coming off the Corn Ferry Tour. They... they in that situation where you've got to play everything you can get into and then everyone's got almost like the FedEx Cup points list in the playoffs, they've got this re-rank in the back of their mind because if you don't play well, then your re-rank is bad, then you get into fewer events and then all of a sudden you there's this urgency when you get into an event and, and there's extra pressure that's brought to bear. So there's that element for the new guys on tour. For the established guys figuring out the schedule, uh, the first thing I would say is just bearing family commitments in mind. Uh, again, human yeah. beings, and, and they've got to deal with you know kids doing this and anniversaries there and, and, and certainly some time off. You, they, they bear in mind golf courses where they're comfortable and where they play well. They'll always get with their stats guy or their performance guy to say, okay, which of the courses I really do well at because that's where we're going to try and go and that's where we're going to try and peak. And you connect with a swing coach and say, okay, here are the ones we've circled. Here are the bright spots. We want to start to work towards that. So then that's when windows of performance are brought to bear and players start to look at like three to four week periods where it's like three on, one off or whatever the case might be. So you bear in mind performance. You bear in mind family commitments. You bear in mind, um, you know, what times of the year you play well. There's a lot that goes into it. And I will say this. The guys that are now battling the re-rank, the Corn Ferry grads, they are hoping to be in a place, and you'll hear them all speak about it, when they earn enough points or they become exempt to be able to go, well, I can set my schedule. But setting that schedule is not as easy as what people think. And, and, and sometimes, you, you, like Rory, you say, well, now I've got to revisit something else because everyone else is earning points. So it's a fluid deal, but 
there's a lot that goes into scheduling and it's not as easy as one thinks. Yeah, the the player scheduling to me is something that I just love to think about. And especially now with all the new data that we're getting access to, hey, where do you play the best? If you know, you can almost in theory make your optimal uh, and optimize a schedule for each one of these guys, which is kind of really exciting for a data nerd like myself. Now, one thing that these guys are going to have to deal with a little bit this week is it, pe- it appears like it's going to be a little wet and rainy. The uh, rained uh, in Mayakoba yesterday. I know the Pro-Am got uh, delayed a bit today. There's potential for Thursday and Friday showers. So, Mark, when, when you've got some, a forecast like this and you know you might be on, you might be off, you might have to play 36 holes in a day, how does that mess with a player's routine? Because we know these guys are creatures of habit and how can you know rain not become um a big a big detriment to you and you can kind of go out there and play your game it is a real challenge um the the routine brings comfort it's kind of like the comfort blanket and if you can schedule things and you know what you have to do there's an element of comfort and if you're comfortable you can swing freer and if you swing freer you hit better shots so the unknown makes it difficult but on the flip side of the coin on a golf course like El Camillion, which is like single file, man, you've got to drive it accurately around there. The rain softens the place. It makes the targets play wider. So the golf course will be a little easier. The big deal, though, through the soil, Rick, is just to try and get as much rest as, 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 as possible because the one element of this that the listeners might not bear in mind is some of those 27-hole, 36-hole days you you up at 4 a.m. in the morning to make it to the 6.30 restart or whatever the case might be. And so they it's exhausting. So you've got to try and rest as much as you can. And you'll see guys during breaks sometimes napping and just recharging and replenishing because it does get quite grueling, even though the conditions underfoot become a little easier. Yeah, you got to make sure you have enough peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in the bag, I think. Or if you if you get into the if you get into the clubhouse, you don't want to eat too much. It's always I, I love this stuff. It uh, throws in just a, a an extra monkey wrench that these guys have to deal with. But um, you know, Kyle, I don't want to throw you on the spot here because this is not something that we had talked about. But what I find very interesting is um, this course, my or this tournament, Mayakoba, and the Sony Open have had a handful of similar winners. You know, Kucher won both events last year. Patton Kazira won both events the year prior. Mark Wilson has won both of these events. I was trying to rack my brain and think if there were any two other courses that had such a similar crossover of you know winners or success, and I couldn't really think of any. So I'll put you on the spot and see if you can think of one. Oh man, um, <laughs> you know I I think the the pla- the places that you see that the most are um, like at the at the major level. I don't I don't. Yeah. I don't think you see it a lot, and 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 I don't know why that is. I don't know if that's because uh, Augusta was designed with St Andrews in mind. I, I I don't I don't know if it's like that deep, or if it's just like the best guys in the world play their best during majors, and so sometimes there's crossover there. Um, but yeah, to it, to your point, like on on a small, and you know, I think I think sometimes it's easy to. Um, I don't know, group some of the, like the shorter courses to go. We talk about like Zach Blair and you're like, where can Zach Blair win? Well, he can win at Sony. He can win at uh, RBC heritage. He can win colonial and yep. you know, maybe he can win somewhere like Mayakoba and that might be it. And so I, I think maybe that's like where your grouping comes in with some of this stuff is just shorter versus longer. I don't know that it, maybe it's more complex than that. I don't know. I I'd, I'd love to hear your opinion on it, but when I think about stuff like that, that's that's the first place that my mind goes. No, it's probably not more complex than that. It's probably somewhat uh, random, but no, I think you're I think you're right. I mean, uh, courses that require certain skill sets, um, whether it is driving accuracy, whether it's small greens and you have to throw darts, I do think you start lumping those together. I mean, even for a while, I just pulled up quickly. You know, Genesis Genesis winners, and you compare those to Masters winners, and you know, Bubba's won uh, both of them. Phil Mickelson, obviously, Adam Scott. I mean, Mike Mike Weir, I think, has won both of them. There's there's really um, some of these courses just fit whether it, that that list was kind of lefties too maybe that's a, a little something um, just fit different golfers in different ways so I think you're right there's probably yeah five or six courses where and I think your your short hitter example is is perfect that you know this is the real chance for those guys to, to run out there and try to capture a win 
Well, if I can add to that, it, it certainly is a golf course thing. And oftentimes it's the grasses on the golf course. And if you look at El Camillion and you look at wildlife, for even sex, it's similar underfoot. And you get some guy like a Patton Kazar who likes Bermuda grass greens and does well with balls that fly a little bit out of Bermuda rough. It, it's people that are just comfortable with environments. And so some of it is course design. Some of it is agronomy. Some of it really, and this is at a base level, and it's kind of ethereal some, but you know, you just get to places where you're comfortable. You know, it's whether yeah. it's tell or it's whether it's, you know, the family's along for the week. There's these other elements too. So it's a little bit of everything, but certainly I feel like it's, it's a golf course conditioning and a golf course design thing too. Yeah, and Mark, since you brought up the the grasses, I, I kind of love this because this is, you know, the, the thing that, that I think a lot of people overlook. Is it just usually, and what it seems to be is usually kind of the the conditions you've you've grown up in. So if you've if you grew up on the West Coast and you're dealing with Kakuya all the time or whatever it might be, that's what you're more comfortable on. Is it really just a? I, I mean, I assume it's just a matter of that's that's what you've played on the most. That's what you're most comfortable with. And when you get onto the PGA Tour and you get back to those regions, uh, you probably feel better there than you do in places that you have not seen certain flyer lies or something like that. No doubt. No doubt. California dudes play well in California courses because they're comfortable on Poania. You can speak to some East Coast guy who comes off Bermuda Championship, Champions Bermuda, which is beautiful. uh, Poania greens are like a puzzle to them, and and you just can't understand how the ball goes. So there's a mindset, but the big thing is the comfort level and the trust. You know, if I've played junior golf on Bermuda my entire life, I, I have a trust and I have a there's a factor involved where I know if I do this, then I can likely expect that. And that is what every professional golfer, indeed every golfer, is looking to do. So if I've been in a certain environment and I know the ball's likely to react, there's trust. And when there's trust, there's comfort. And when there's comfort, it starts to flow on to other elements and, and, and other departments of the game. So there is no doubt that, that if one's been in a certain environment for a long time, it does put one at ease and so the game improves. I love it. Okay, uh, Mark, we, we're, we're going to let you go here shortly, but I got to get your opinion on um, the President's Cup picks. Uh, Ernie Els, Tiger Woods uh, named their captain's picks last week, and we have quite a few of those players in the field. Uh, Abraham Anser coming home to his native Mexico uh, to play this event. We've got Matt Kuchar, Tony Finau, Jason Day, Joaquin Neiman, C.T. Pan, Adam Hadwin, all in the field. And this great note that we have here, the one. this is the one week out of 52 that Sung Jay is going to take off but I I bet you he's he's playing somewhere right like he's going to tee it up in some like uh corporate scramble event like I don't know I I think he's going to be playing somewhere <laughs> Yeah but uh so so Mark I mean I I'd love to get your opinion I mean I you had actually nailed it I believe when when we chatted last about getting someone like Joaquin Neiman on this international team which um honestly until you had mentioned it I was like wow I I never even considered that and that's a great type of player who has probably played a lot of match play what did you think of let's start you know you know er, i think ernie's picks were um much more interesting than tigers were but what did you think of the international side uh, and where ernie went um i like the picks i was chatting with a few folks over last weekend and uh, i think jason day obviously going back to the sand belt is, is a great idea because in match play um it's about putting, really. We've got competitive golfers. If you make putts, you win. And, and in an 18-hole match play match, someone like Jason who fills it up on greens at which he's comfortable, uh, I think that was a, a master class, even though he hasn't been in the best of form. Um, Joaquin Neiman, I think, was a no-doubt pick. Uh, as, as, as we look to the future and as the internationals try and breed a, a core lineup, there's no doubt that he and his attitude and, and the young, vivacious way about him will be a part of the mix. Um, Sung J.M., that's no – shucks, my daughter could have. <laughs> um, and then Adam Hadwin, who I had talked about him some. You know, Corey Connor's name was tossed out there, and Ben Ahn I thought would have been a, a handy pick. Uh, I think Adam was, was a smart selection, though, because he brings a certain quiet leadership about him and – I know the President's Cup international coaches weren't concerned because there's a young, fresh team, but you do need some veterans in the locker room, and Hadwin has played a President's Cup, so having him in there was a good idea, and he's playing well, which is a good thing. As far as Tiger goes, well, we all sort of knew who he was going to pick. We knew he was going to go with himself. Woodland is a great pick. Finau is a fantastic pick. He plays plays well with everyone. 
And, and so the Americans sort of made a lot of sense. For, for me, the big question, and I know a bunch of the internationals are asking this too, is, is Brooks likely to play? And if he doesn't, who is the fill-in? And that brings up an in- interesting argument because, you know, Ricky pulled out this week because he's not well. He hasn't played very much. So where do you go there? Obviously, Patrick Reed is in the lineup. So I, I thought all the picks made a lot of sense and there was nothing really off- overly controversial at all. Where would, yeah, you, well, where would you go, oops, Mark? Sorry, where would I go? If, if, if Brooks is but, not – if Brooks can't play. You want me to say speed? Uh, no, I, I was going to propose instead of – so Ricky's got this thing. So he's not playing Mike but He's got this bacterial infection, which sounds like the worst thing in the world. Apparently it's not too, too bad. But I'm the guy that I'm really intrigued by is not Spieth, although I am intrigued by him, uh, is uh, Kevin Kisner. Uh, look, uh, if, 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 if you were going to put me a gun to my head, say, who are you going with – Ricky is a, has got a lot of allure about him, and he's fantastic in the team room, and that's an important thing. But Kiz, the way he plays, the grit about him, he was dynamite at the previous President's Cup. He plays well with anybody. And remember I said you pick a guy who can putt? Well, Kisner is a, he's a weapon around the greens, and so I wouldn't even bat an eyelid if I was Captain Woods. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, on on that note, uh, Mark, we're going to let you get out of here. We're going to take a short break. Kyle and I are going to come back and wrap this up with some uh, some fantasy and some betting stuff. But as always, Mark, we really appreciate your time this morning. Appreciate you guys. Take care, man. See you, Mark. All right. All right. We'll be back in just a second. Did you know that more than 75 percent of Americans will experience foot pain in their lifetime, but only 10 percent will seek out a solution for that pain. Those numbers do not add up to me. And I know it can be confusing the biomechanics of the foot, the bones, the muscles, everything in between, but solving foot pain is simple. And that's where super feet comes into play. These super feet insoles go into your shoes, give your feet comfort and support where they need it the most and redistribute the forces that reduce both stress and strain through your entire body, not just your feet. Insoles have been uh, phenomenal for me uh, personally, and they are clinically proven to decrease fatigue, reduce injury, and improve comfort. I can attest to that myself, especially when walking uh, a lot of golf holes that I play. So if you feel good, you play good, you look good, everything works out from there and it starts from the bottom up. Visit superfeet.com and enter promo code FIRST at checkout for 15% off your first order plus free shipping. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back. Uh, Kyle, you're still here. We're going to chat through. This is actually a pretty decent field for Maya Kobo Golf Classic. We will chat through uh, a little bit of DraftKings, a little bit of fantasy, maybe some bets on the end here. But, you know, is there anything that really kind of stands out to you this week? We we talked, uh, Mark kind of mentioned it in the, in the early section. You have to be straight off the tee. But anything else that we should really know about uh, El Chameleon or just this this field in general? Well, the thing, the thing that I always get intrigued by by this at this excuse me at this time of year is you've got guys that have played you know three four five events and who is sort of outpacing their normal um like strokes gain numbers right whether that's mm-hmm. below or above like I think Tony Finau is like four strokes per round like tee to green right now <laughs> you're like well that's not gonna last unless he's gonna right. have the greatest season of all time so I think I think um, like the small sample size actually intrigues me because I think there's a lot of value to be found there for different guys. Um, so I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think as always, as we've talked about, like just some of the younger guys that are in this field, Hovland, we're going to talk about him more in a second, but he's fascinating. Joaquin Neiman's one of the favorite, uh, one of the favorites in the field. Uh, Aaron Wise. There's a lot, of, a lot of young guys that I think are super intriguing. Your boy, Scotty Scheffler. Love him. He's uh, 33 to one. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know that there's necessarily, 
anything in terms of like the way the course is going to play as much as like what are guys doing uh, go, going into this tournament. I, I do have a question for you, though, in terms of if you had to give me a couple of guys for um, like like a couple of like DraftKings guys or, or, or some of the cash game guys, like who, who are you looking at for this week? Yeah, so for for cash games, for those of you new to DraftKings or Fantasy, what we're looking for are really, really safe guys. You, you want guys with really high floors. You might not necessarily need them to go out and win the golf tournament, but they can't miss the cut for you. Um, so when you start thinking in in that aspect of guys like Charles Howell the third is like defined as that guy right where he's just going to post a bunch of top 20s um he's never really going to kill you and we've seen him play pretty well recently he had a 36 place finish at the WGC he had an eighth at the Zozo and outside of last year Kyle he's kind of torn up Mayakoba a little bit he was yeah. trending he was trending towards a win okay so 2016 he was he finished in 17th 2017, he finished in seventh. 2018, he finished in fourth. So the only natural uh, progression would have been to win last year. <laughs> Unfortunately, he missed the cut, but still plenty of great course history. Yeah, he does. He's uh, in the top 12 or so in terms of strokes gain uh, on this course. We'll talk about somebody who's number one uh, later on. You've also got um, you got Harris English on here. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah, so... Harris is interesting because he's a past champion here, which I think not a lot of people remember. It was like five or <laughs> five or six years ago. And since then, he's, I think, missed the cut four times and finished in 68. It hasn't been a good run since he won here. But uh, Harris English, to no fault of his own, no fault of his own. Just we haven't really talked about him because he didn't play in Asia um, like he hasn't played since the Houston Open, but he already has three top six finishes this season. Yeah. He's got a, th a third at the Greenbrier, a six at the Sanderson and a fourth in Houston, which is like when you compare it to just guys in the early part of this of the season. He is having one of the best seasons so far, and he's eight thousand dollars on DraftKings, which would make him probably like the. 20 or 25th highest priced golfer. So he's someone that um, I feel comfortable kind of plugging into my lineups as, as, as fairly safe. Uh, Harris English is a guy, and I think I've mentioned this on here before, maybe with, with Chip Patterson, but he's a guy you go watch and you're like, well, that that's like the fourth best player in the world. Like, like when he hits, Oh yeah. When he hits his irons, when he hits I mean, the three woods that he hits are a joke. And you're like, I, I don't understand how this guy doesn't um, – I mean, he – he did, didn't he go to uh, – he went to Corn Ferry Finals last year, didn't he? Oh, good question. That sounds right. I think did he, he have to play back into it? Yeah. I think he did. I'm not positive on that. But he was at least kind of on the border there. And I just I, – I, I guess, like, the eye test for me doesn't match up to what the stats actually are. And I don't know if that's a mental thing only or if he's been – I don't know. I don't know what the deal is there, but I all that to say, like, I believe in the in the pedigree that he has and uh, and just in the swing he has. I, I think he's an unbelievable ball striker. Um, and then the other guy you got on here, I got a question about this because you've got Lanto Griffin on here. He came coming off the Houston Open win. He's, I believe, nine thousand dollars. Is that is that, that right? is correct? Yeah. Um, are you worried at all? He's he's number 10 right now in strokes gained putting on the PGA Tour. I know you are. Team no putt, hashtag. Right. <laughs> uh, does that worry you at all? Yeah, I mean, it, it always worries me when, um, you know, especially the putter, which which is the most volatile of, of stats week in and week out, that you catch a bad putter and, and you could easily, you know, miss the cut here if that's like your one main skill set. But we, we haven't seen it, right? I mean, this season he's got six starts already, no worse than an eighth, 18th place finish, and he's already captured a win. That's like okay, maybe the guy's just a really good putter and he's not going to have a bad week ever. I mean, it's it's what he's doing is incredibly impressive. And when, when you're looking for someone who has a really high floor, in which case through six starts, Griffin certainly has a high floor. Um, this is the type of guy that, you know, I'm just going to plug and play and, and wait until he burns me. So, uh, by the way, English Harris English went uh... – he did go to the corner Ferry finals. He went T 14 at the uh, nationwide children's hospital, uh, T 26 at the corn Ferry tour championship. And then, and then to your point, he goes T three, T six, T 33, T four to start the PGA tour season, which yeah, doesn't, crazy. doesn't make a whole, 
uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense after um, the season that he had like to end like the the way that he ended uh, the 2018-19 PGA Tour season. Yeah, it's why. And, you know, as we see often, these guys find something, right? It's just, oh, maybe it's a swing thought. Maybe it's a new drill they're working on. And it, and you see how long they can keep it going. And um, I really like Harris English. And I, I hope he's I hope he's in store for, for a good year here. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you got a couple other guys on here that are intriguing to me. Most notably, Joaquin Neiman at... Uh, at 9,800, you think there is, uh, you think there's some value there. Why is that? Yeah. So, uh, moving away from cash games, um, if you're trying to win all the money, trying to win the big bucks, you, you really want to take in some more volatility. Um, and, and I think Joaquin Neiman provides that in the same way that we said he would be great for the president's cup team because he can get hot yeah. win you a bunch of matches or he can lose them all like kind of the same thing here in terms of fantasy and in terms of DraftKings, where, uh, has obviously has the upside with the win at Greenbrier. But what I like about Neiman is he makes a ton of birdies. And when you're looking at a course that the winning score has been, what, 18 to 22 under par, could be playing wet, like, like there, it's going to be a low number that wins this thing, I suspect, this week. And, and Neiman is a guy that I think can go really, really low. So for something like, and I don't do, I mean, as people are probably figuring out or are already aware of, I don't, I don't do a lot of the DFS. I, that's not That's not my world like it is yours. And so I guess what you're sort of telling me is that like the, the DraftKings thing is like the, the Charles Howell Memorial, like doesn't miss a cut, but doesn't really win like that. That's the kind of guy you want. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely depends on the format that you're, that you're playing in. Um, the, the Charles Howell invitational, right. The guy that makes every single cut is a very valuable piece to your lineup, but you, you know, if you want to win the big contest with a lot of people, uh, you need to have the winner in your lineup. Right. And so you're trying to find these guys that could potentially jump up out of, out of nowhere, um, and win so that some some weeks it's not out of nowhere and it's Rory and some weeks it's Nate Lashley and it's uh, Max Homa and these guys that you know no one in the field is kind of considering but they go out they win you a golf tournament and they win you all the cash so that's like the Siwoo Keimer memorial it, perfect exactly award. exactly right dead dead first first or last that's what we're looking for baby Siwoo Keimer would be a great golfer uh, you got one other name on here Harold Varner the third uh, yeah. 7,900. What, what did you like about him? Yeah. So, uh, generally speaking, I don't get a lot of, uh, access to Harold Varner the third. I don't play him in a lot of, in a lot of lineups. Um, you know, because we, we haven't really seen him tap into the upside the last time that he was in a final group. Granted, it was in a major at the PGA championship with Brooks and I would have crumbled like a cookie, but we also saw <laughs> him, him crumble as well, which is a little bit scary, but, uh, playing really well to start the season. He had a, had a good Asian swing 27th at the Zozo and 26th at the CJ cup. But what I really like about Varner is, um, you know, Maya Coba and El Chameleon seems to set up well for him. Fifth place finish in 2016, sixth place finish in 2019. So when you have, you know, two top six finishes in, in your last three starts at a place that might indicate that, uh, either it sets up well for you or you've got some good vibes around there. So really Varner to me is just trying to find that intersection between, you know, playing well recently and also has good course history. I was walking with, uh, HV and Brooksy during the oh final round and, if I remember it right, uh, Varner birdied the first, and Brooks, I think he parred or bogeyed it. And uh, Varner picked up a, at least a stroke, maybe two on him. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, huh, that's not how I expected this to go. <laughs> and then whatever the, the – I think it was the fourth hole of that par five, and Varner made like an eight. And you're like, yeah. well, yeah, that here we go. This is how I expected yeah, it to go. <laughs> this is – this is what I was uh, what I was envisioning when uh, when the day started. Well, I you know we've talked we've talked about this. You got to knock on the door before it opens. I think he will be better uh, for this moving forward. But let's go over our so we've got uh, a winner, a top ten, and a sleeper um, from each of us. So hit me with your winner for the Mayakoba Golf Classic. Yeah, I got I got my guy. I you know I know you're new to this podcast. I only pick Oklahoma State guys or oh. or or Rory. Um, okay, so, that's good. That's good to know, actually. <laughs> so I got I got Victor Hovland. I I think that you know he he's one of the I think he's eighteen to one. What is he? I've got it here. He's uh, yeah he's eighteen. So you got 
you got four favorites. You got Jason Day, you got Matt Kuchar, you got Finau, and you got Hovland. And I think there's a world in which Hovland actually has the best uh, season and best, best next three to five seasons out of all these guys. And that we're looking back on this in a couple of years, not that anyone will be looking back on the Mayakoba uh, odds in a couple of years from 2019, but if we are, we'd be like, wow, that was that was a lot of value of Victor Hovland at 18 to one. I, I just think he's, I mean, all of the statistical profiles uh, in terms of his driving ability and everything that he does. I mean, you want to talk about team no putt, like this is, this is yeah. your guy right here. And I don't know. That's just exciting to me. I think he's, I think he uh, is, is due to get his first win. And I think he gets it this week at uh, Mayakoba. I'll tell you what, if you're only going to pick uh, guys from one school and Rory, Oklahoma State is probably the school <laughs> to do it from. <laughs> you might be in trouble if you had to pick another school, but no, nah, he's he's a stud. I hope he wins it. I really I really hope he does because you're right. We could look back in three years and he comes back to, to Mayakoba and he's like five to one and it's like, yeah. you know, something crazy. But um, I'm, I'm going to go with Tony Finau. Really, I don't necessarily love um, – I mean, I love I love Victor, and I hope he wins it. But, like, the, the top half of this, like, I could fade Kucher. I could ignore Jason Day. Like, I'm not super thrilled about uh, some of these guys. But Finau, to me, uh, despite the tee to green numbers, uh, I just – I mean, he's just been playing so poorly. And I don't think that we get an extended period of, of bad golf from Tony Finau. I think he's too good for that. Um, I'm hoping this kind of turns into a birdie fest and, and he can shoot something really, really low here. So my, my win is Tony Finau. I don't super love it, but uh, it's more of a, like, I hope he wins type of pick. Yeah. Do you, how much do you look at um, like for, for shorter courses with bigger hitters? Do you look at the strokes gain around the green type stuff? Because it, it it's almost a weird situation in which, I mean, if Tony Finau goes to like Sony, like he's just overpowering that oh, course, right? Yeah. And so, like, you, you, he's going to have like weird and different shots than some other guys. Is that something that when you're evaluating some of this, you look at it? Yeah, for sure. There's actually um, there's a Twitter thread going around right now where I, I've always and you and I have talked about this. I've always kind of hated like the proximity from different areas because you never know <laughs> like how much they're hitting from there um but there's actually some 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 stats coming out now where it basically takes every player and it takes you know it, it takes what their normal shots would be on holes and puts it on on el chameleon and says okay well he's gonna have five shots from inside 100 yards he's gonna have seven shots from 175 to 200 or whatever that is and then you can kind of look at that and say okay are is he good in the ranges that he's going to have a lot of shots from so yes this is something that i think as more data comes out we're starting to unlock this a little bit more and it's going to be really really interesting the next couple of weeks and months to find out hey this guy's really good in this area and on this course he's probably going to have a lot of shots from there we'll probably talk about that quite a yeah, bit yeah that's really interesting um man i love stuff like that that's fascinating to me we actually have the same uh we have the same guy for uh yeah. top 10 uh emiliano grio uh team it's, it's because he can't win right kyle <laughs> like you have to put him in the top 10 <laughs> i think he's plus i saw i think i saw plus 300 for top 10 uh he's actually the all-time leader in strokes gained on this course if you look at the last so I think it's minimum of 12 rounds. And if you look since 2010, uh, it goes Emiliano Grillo, JJ Spawn, Siwoo, uh, Russell Knox, and Anurban Lahiri. This is from datagolf.org. And um, so he's had a lot of success uh, at this event on this course, 300 to, uh, plus 300 to finish in the top 10 for somebody who's not, you know, I, I think he's just somebody who doesn't get talked about. And no. You know, he, he's another guy kind of like Joaquin Neiman to where you're like, this is probably one of the, like, the 25 or 40 best ball strikers in the world, and he just doesn't get talked about. So I, I really like him for top 10 this week. Yeah, same same do I. Um, to, to pile on, he again is hashtag team, team no putt. And what I like about um, and what we've seen from El Chameleon in the past, which I believe it's past Palm Greens, and they have to keep them a little bit slower because this is a coastal course. If you get them too fast and the wind kicks up, you run the risk of losing it. Um, so, so what we've seen on slower greens is it kind of neutralizes – I don't want to say it neutralizes the good putters, but it raises the bad putters. Because if you think about this, um, on really fast greens, 
you know, any fraction of a miss gets magnified. Um, and, you know, it's it's a lot easier to three putt if, if something goes wrong. These slow greens, which might be even slower thanks to the rain that we've seen this week, it's hard to three putt. These guys can just take a whack at it and knock it up there. So I, I'm, I'm even investing more in uh, bad putters this week than normal. And, and Griot, who has the course history to go along with it, is certainly a bad putter. And I love everything else about his game. Is, is it... Uh... Do you subscribe to the theory that like both really slow and really fast greens hurt good putters? Uh, that's probably true. Um, I'm trying to think through this in my brain. I, I I suppose right where it's just kind of something outside of of the norm, and you you know those are the two tails of like the bell curve. But anything in the middle, they're awesome at. I guess I could kind of get behind that. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I think this was a theory that I talked about with the uh, with uh, Solly at No Line Up during. I think it was 16 U.S. Open when DJ won. Now, DJ has become a really good putter, so maybe this doesn't apply to him, but it just felt like the, those greens were so ridiculous that it's like it, it does like putting almost is like not it just doesn't even exist. Like it, you just you just basically just take the best ball strikers from that single week. And that's just who your who your leaderboard is. Yeah, I, I kind of like that. I'd like to look deeper into that. And speaking of deep, um, we've got some sleepers here. So you you actually, you tried to mention him earlier. Uh, you've got Siwoo here, and uh, I don't think I hate it. Talk to me about it. Yeah, Siwoo is, uh, again, like I, I was just looking at course history. He's had, he's had a lot of success here. Last year, I've got it pulled up. I don't know if he played last year. Uh, the year before, uh, he finished third behind Patton Kazire and Ricky Fowler uh, at 15 under. Um, he's play, He's just played great at this course. He doesn't have a ton of experience here. He's only played three times. But any time that Siwoo is like, I don't know, 75 to 1 or higher in an event like this, I'm just, I'm just intrigued by it. Like, I, I'm, I just want to – I want to be in on that whenever <laughs> it happens. I, I don't – I don't know that I totally understand him, which is maybe like the intriguing part. But if you go, I mean, just if you do what he did at the beginning of his career, like that's not nothing. Like that's a real thing, and it doesn't just go away. So I, I'm I'm fascinated by how the next few years of his career play out. Yeah, I uh, I kind of love Siwoo as well here, but I went with uh, I went with Harry Higgs, who is you know as, uh, coming off a, a solo second at Bermuda, and quite frankly, outside of a literally historic round from Brendan Todd, he would have been your champion there. Uh, Brendan Todd runs out and shoots his best round in 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 500 rounds of his career, steals this thing away from him, and I I just I can literally imagine Harry Higgs just like looking around like what what happened. Um, um, so, I mean, what I think you get from him is obviously a guy who played well just a handful of a handful of weeks ago. And he's another one of these guys, especially because he's, you know, he's not a young guy. He's a C, he's worked his way up uh, Latin American tour, all this stuff. Um, he's played a lot of events, but new to the PGA tour yeah. and he's going to be volatile. You know, yeah. he's got he's got six starts. Three of them are top 25s and three of them are missed cuts. Like, I think that's what you're going to continue to get out of him. Um, so I'm just trying to catch the 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 upward wave as opposed to the downward wave for a guy that I expect to be kind of all over the place. Yeah, no, I, I like that. He uh, he did play well. He played really well at Bermuda. He, former um, former SMU teammate Bryson. I think they're on the same SMU team. That would make sense. Their, their years probably would have aligned, right? Yeah, Somewhere in there. I think that's yeah. right. I think that's right. Um, all right. Okay, we got a couple of uh, we got a couple of matchups here. Yeah, let's let's rapid fire these real quick here. Um, so I just picked out three uh, that that intrigued me, and the first one is Cameron Champ plus one fifteen versus Keegan Bradley as a pretty significant favorite minus one fifty. What do you think? Uh, I'll go Keegan. Uh, I just I don't know. I can't, I can't do the Cam Champ thing. I, I don't I don't. Uh, I mean, it's a good number for him, but yeah. Uh, Keegan's top 25, his last two events. I think he's a little, I think he went from being kind of overrated to a little bit underrated now. I mean, he's the 45th, you know, ranked number 47 in the world right now. So, uh, yeah, I'll go Keegan over Cam Champ. 
This is definitely um, two different ways that these guys get off the tee, right? I mean, Keegan's usually like a total <laughs> driving type of guy. Cam Champ is just like an absolute monster. Um, I- I'm really torn on this, which is why I included it. I'll I- I'll go with Cam Champ. I'll take the plus money. Um, you know, obviously got his got his second win uh, earlier this year. Played well in Houston. I'm I'm very interested to see what you know the 2019 2020 season holds for Cam Champ. Um, next up, Harris English, guy we talked a lot about, plus 105 versus Ches Revy, who has struggled recently, but still the favorite here in this matchup, minus 135. What do you yeah, got? Yeah, I'll, I'll go English. He's just hotter right now. I mean, he's just playing better golf. Revy's had a bad fall after finishing T5 at the Tour Championship. I don't blame him. I'd be doing a celebratory lap after the season he had last <laughs> season. Uh, so, yeah, I'll go, I'll go Harris English. I'm I'm with you there. We we talked about it. This this should be a good course for for Revy, but uh, we've just not seen enough from him recently. I'm on English, and then uh, the final one here, uh, Lanto Griffin minus one twenty five versus Denny McCarthy minus one oh five. What do you got? Uh, yeah, the two of the eight best putters on the PGA Tour right That's now. That's why I picked them. <laughs> Denny, Denny McCarthy is uh, number three in strokes gain. Lanto Griffin's number eight. Uh. Pfft. This is I'll I'll say McCarthy. I I think that I think that sometimes and and again this is like super no data to back it up. But I think sometimes when you win, you you sort of it's just hard to maintain it at that level. You're kind of climbing the mountain, climbing the mountain. You win and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, well I won. Now what? You start looking around. Yeah. So I'll just for that reason alone, I'll go Denny McCarthy. Okay, I'll take Griffin. I think you're absolutely right on that. I mean, we've seen it a lot. We've seen Hudson Swafford do it. We've seen Gary Woodland do it. We've seen, I mean, just last year, Shane Lowry felt like he did it. You win, you can breathe a sigh of relief, and then it's like, oh, crap, I actually have to go back to work now. Um, but but I'll take Griffin here. I think he has a really, really high floor, and that's kind of what I'm looking for in these matchups. Um, so, yeah, that's it. Now, now Kyle, um, that's going to conclude – our Mayakoba Golf Classic preview. Any final thoughts? What anything you're looking forward to before we uh, cut this off? Uh, Denny McCarthy. Every time I hear his name, sounds like a middle reliever for the Pirates. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know why. Maybe it's Denny Nagel combined with Brandon McCarthy. Oh, there you go. And your brain like just computes that as some like yeah. He probably throws like sidearm in this yes. type of situation, he's, right? He's exactly. He's a sidearm like slider about eighty seven out of, like out of the side. And, I'll tell you uh, what. If he if he wins this golf tournament, I will send you a McCarthy Pittsburgh Pirates jersey, <laughs> so that this can be like a thing. He wins this golf tournament, I'll have it at your front door. <laughs> Oh, uh, that's incredible. I, d- I don't know. I'm, I, it feels good to say that out loud. Cause I've thought it for like the last eight <laughs> months. Um, no, I, you know, I, I think the story this week will, will obviously be the Kucher thing, which is, I don't know. I get just sort of tired of it and it's like, okay, we get it. We understand what happened. Let's talk about Victor Hovland and, and Joaquin Neiman, you know? Um, but yeah, I, you know, it, it's, it's a good opportunity for a couple of guys last two weeks to try to get to tournament of champions. So it should be fun. Uh, should be a good event. Great viewing. Um, obviously my is beautiful and, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, I think we've had some good finishes here over the years between Kazire and, and Fowler where they played, didn't they play like 36 in a day? I think a couple of years ago. Oh so, yeah, that sounds right. Um, yeah, it should be, it should be a good time. Yeah. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm stoked for it. And uh, yeah, that'll do it for us. So that's Kyle Porter. Follow him on Twitter, Kyle Porter, CBS. Uh, I'm Rick Gaiman at Rick Run Good. Give us a shout and we'll catch you next time. See you, Rick. See you, Kyle. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.